begin with uh, Revelation chapter 17. Why don't we take a minute and pray before we uh, look at this chapter. Uh, Father, we again look to you. Um, We ask you that you would give us insight and understanding. We recognize, the Lord, you gave us this book of Revelation to reveal to your people what was going to take place in the days to come. And we're thankful for that. But we do ask you for insight and help us to be able to put it all together and let it impact our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. A friend of mine has noted that a good way to summarize the entire book of Revelation is to recognize that it's actually how God's gonna work with three different groups of people. For example, it's about God working with his church, purifying his church, but eventually rapturing his church, bringing his church to be with Christ, to rule in the millennial kingdom. It's about, second, the Jewish people and the rebirth of the nation of Israel and the birth of this millennial kingdom that's gonna take place in the future. And then third, it's about unbelievers and the judgment that's going to come on the world. And so really it's about these three things, the church, the Jewish people, and then the unbelieving world. Now, Revelation chapter 17, which we're looking at tonight, from my perspective, is the most difficult chapter in the book of Revelation to understand. And so I'll do my best to try to explain it because I think it's kind of confusing. And part of the reason why it is, is that some of the terms or some of the symbols are used in multiple ways. And so, for example, as we talk about Babylon in a little bit, Babylon is a reference to a religious system, but it's also a religion or a a reference to a town, a place, and a world government. And so all these things are gonna be true about this Babylon. And so as we're reading, we have to try to decipher which one is being talked about at a particular point. I also wanna mention that this chapter uh, includes kind of a difficult or sensitive subject. The main topic of Revelation 17 is, is this person or entity that's called the mother of prostitutes. It goes by the name Babylon. Now in this study, I'm gonna be defining the idea of a prostitute as someone who lures people away from their true love through their enchantments. It's someone who lures people away from their true love through their enchantments. And so we get a hint here about what Babylon is that we're gonna begin reading about in chapter 17 here because it's, although it's an actual city, Babylon is, and it's a world government, I think it's also a system that lures people away from the true and living God to get them to worship someone or something else. Now with this in mind, let's begin reading in Revelation chapter 17, beginning in verse one. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, come, I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute who sits on many waters. Now, let's stop for a moment here. This is again a judgment on an entity that's called a notorious prostitute. We get a hint of the identity of this entity because she is sitting on, it says, many waters. And in the book of Revelation, waters are a reference to people groups or the Gentile nations. Now, this particular chapter begins with a reference to one of the seven angels. And so I need to review this just for a minute. We read about seven angels in the previous chapter. And these were seven angels that were responsible for pouring out God's judgment upon the world 
in what have been called the bowl judgments. Each of these angels has symbolically a bowl in his hand, and it's a reference to a judgment that's gonna be poured out on the world. Now, what's significant about these angels is that the seventh angel's bowl is amplified in chapter 17. And so to get a handle on 17, we need to know a little bit about chapter 16. Let me remind you, though, of what these bowl judgments were. The first one was an angel poured out his bowl and anyone that got the mark of the beast suddenly found him or herself stricken with painful boils. The second judgment that took place was that the sea was turned to blood and all of the the sea life in it died. The third bowl that was poured out, this judgment, was upon the rivers and the streams and, and they also turned to blood. And it was at this point in Revelation 16 that God revealed the justice of this particular judgment. Because since the beginning of time, the righteous blood of some has been shed by the wicked. And so you go all the way back to Abel in the Old Testament, the, the son, one of the sons of Adam and Eve who was killed by his brother. And so blood of the, the righteous has been shed throughout human history to the very end where there's gonna be a massive persecution against Christians. And so this particular judgment is basically saying you have, you've spilled so much innocent blood that you, I'm gonna give you blood to drink. The fourth bowl related to the sun. The sun will somehow heat up and it'll scald people. The fifth bowl relates to the kingdom of the Antichrist. It's gonna be plunged into darkness And again, you might remember from last week as we talked about this, that a lot of these plagues are reminiscent of what happened to Pharaoh in the Old Testament. The sixth judgment was that the rulers of the earth were gonna be gathered to a final battle and be defeated by Christ at Armageddon. The seventh bowl judgment is the one that relates to what we're talking about here today. Something called Babylon the Great is going to be judged. Now, chapter 17, again, begins describing what this Babylon the Great was, who's called the mother of prostitutes. Now, I want to close or begin this by looking at the end of chapter 16 and then begin chapter 17. So the end of 16 went this way, beginning in verse 19. The great city, and that's a reference to Jerusalem, split into three parts. The cities of the nations fell, Babylon the great was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger. Every island fled and the mountains disappeared. Enormous hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell from the sky on people and they blasphemed God for the plague of hail because that plague was extremely severe. And so this reference at the end of 16 talks about how God remembered Babylon the great. And it specifically has the idea he remembered them in judgment. Now, chapter 17 then begins to describe the judgment of this Babylon the Great that's referred to as a prostitute. And again, we define this as someone who lures other people away from their true love through their own enchantments. This Babylon the Great is something that was used by the devil to turn everybody's hearts away from the true and living God to false gods. 
Now, ultimately, again, I think Babylon represents a false religious system. That's mostly how it's used in chapter 17. But as we'll see in chapter 18, it also refers to an economic system. And so really, it's the entire system that the devil is using. He's called the God of this world. The devil uses an entire system to steer people away from a sincere and devoted love to God so that they would worship a false god. Now, with all that in mind, let's read again, or let's read verses two through six that talk about this judgment. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who live on the earth became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. So he carried me, the angel carried me in the spirit to his desert. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Now, this is the same individual that's referred to in verse one, this prostitute. He carried me, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls. She had a gold cup in her hand filled with everything vile and with impurities of her prostitution. On her forehead, a cryptic name was written, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the vile things of the earth. Then I saw that the woman was drunk on the blood of the saints and on the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Now notice that verse six here indicates that this prostitute is drunk on the blood of the saints and on the blood of those who testify concerning Jesus. This again to me is evidence of the fact that Christians are going to be around during this time period. And there's gonna be a persecution and many are going to be losing their lives and this kingdom and the rulers of this kingdom are gonna be uh, just intoxicated by the power that they have to put to death all these people that worship the true and living God. They're gonna go after that particular group. And so this Babylon, again, is like a false wife. She's like a counterfeit wife. She's someone who's luring people away from the true and living God. Now, it says here in the verses we just read that the kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her. I don't believe that this is a reference to literal sexual immorality, although without a doubt, this last kingdom of the earth is gonna have a lot of immorality. I think everything is gonna go. But again, I don't think that's what's being talked about here. This is a spiritual idolatry, adultery, a spiritual immorality. And I think what's gonna happen is that the rulers of this world along with the Antichrist are gonna be enamored by this, this religious system that establishes the Antichrist to be a god that he should be worshiped. Now, this idea of, of calling, going after the true God and going after false gods or going from the one to the other is called immorality throughout the pages of the Bible and many times in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, Israel is depicted as being betrothed to God. And, and he's one who loved them and said, I choose you. And we're told to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's the one to whom we're betrothed. And anytime Israel started going after false gods, it was considered adultery or immorality, or it was also called prostitution because in a very real sense, what Israel was doing was it was offering itself up to these other gods. And so it's a spiritual immorality, not a physical immorality. And so we have an example, for example, in Jeremiah 3, 6. 
In the days of King Josiah, the Lord asked me, have you seen what unfaithful Israel has done? She has ascended every high hill and gone under every green tree to prostitute herself there. In the Old Testament, they used to put idols on the high hills and under trees. And so this is describing how Israel is offering itself up like in prostitution to these false gods. That's what it's talking about. Now, in Revelation 17, I think Babylon is this prostitute of sorts. Now, I would define Babylon as this. It's the false satanic religious and political system of this world that lures people away from God. And so ultimately, that's what this is. It's this religious system, but it's an economic system also, and it lures people away from the true God. A pastor friend of mine put it this way, Babylon the Great is referring to the world system of the devil, the world system that controls and affects every aspect of the world and specifically affects the religion of the world and the economy of the world. And so this is a final world kingdom. It's gonna be led by the Antichrist and it's gonna be uh, established because of the work of a, a false prophet who is going to perform miracles and point everyone to the Antichrist as being God. And this is the ultimate idolatry. Now, the idea of Babylon being described as this prostitute, I think is very, very significant because I think there's a connection between Babylon and the entire Bible. For example, we know that Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil Back in Genesis chapter three, they were tempted to sin against God. And do you remember what the temptation was? It was a specific temptation that they were supposed to, if they ate from that tree, they would become like gods. That's what would happen to them if they ate from the tree they weren't supposed to eat from. And so it was an effort to make humans God instead of God. And I would call this the spirit of Babylon, if I could put it that way, this effort to take people away from a sincere and pure love and devotion to our creator and get them to worship something else. When the, in the Garden of Eden, what were they worshiping? Well, it was the opportunity for them to be gods. You eat from this, you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. And of course, they ate from the tree and brokenness came into the world. As you keep reading the Bible, though, you keep seeing this idea of Babylon slipping back into the story. And it's interesting to me that Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden, probably all of that is, is in the area of Babylon. And, and so it's possible that the very Garden of Eden is, is where Babylon was and in modern day Iraq or in Iran to this day. And so you realize all of this started back in Babylon. You fast forward a few thousand years and we find an interesting story that takes place about some humanity, really all of humanity, gathering together to build a tower. And we read about this in Genesis chapter, 14, or Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse one. We read, at one time, the whole earth had one, the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with a top in the sky. 
Let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the earth. Do you see what's happening here? I believe this is humanity's first attempt to completely unite together and make a name for themselves and not a name for God. They were basically building a tower that would allow them to ascend to the heavens instead of trusting the God who is in the heavens to come down to them. And God saw, of course, what was happening here, and we read that he confused their languages so that they couldn't, they couldn't coordinate with one another, they couldn't keep building, and people spread out over the face of the earth. But this group I view as being the first humanists in history. They were ones who wanted to deify humanity, just like Adam and Eve were tempted to do. Now we find this Tower of Babel. Now what's interesting is that this Tower of Babel took place or was built where Babylon is. My Bible study notes that this, this land of Shinar that's referred to here in Genesis 11, it's the land of Mesopotamia, including ancient Sumer and Babylon. And so suddenly this Babylon thing shows back up on the scene. Now that disappeared for some time. And a few thousand years would pass and suddenly a world leader would rise up, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. And I view Nebuchadnezzar as the first true world leader. And you might remember that in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And in his dream, he saw this huge statue. And the head of the statue was gold and the, the neck and shoulders were silver and the chest was brass and it went down. The, the feet were a combination of, of uh, clay and iron. And, and Nebuchadnezzar was told that this was a picture of all the kingdoms that were coming. And he was told that he was the, the head of gold, that he represents the king of kings. Now you may remember that in the book of Daniel, after Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, what did he do? He made a huge image, about 90 feet tall, and he demanded that literally everybody worship that image, and I think it was an image of him. He was demanding that everybody unite around, instead of worshiping the true and living God, worshiping him as a God or his idol as a God. Now, I think Nebuchadnezzar is and was a picture of the Antichrist. And it's interesting to me that in the book of Revelation, we read that the false prophet had an image made of the Antichrist. We read about it in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 14. We read, he, the false prophet, deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that he is permitted to perform on behalf of the beast, that's the Antichrist, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the sword, wound, and lived. And so they're gonna make an image of this Antichrist. Well, I think this is the same uh, thing that happened back in Babylon in the Old Testament. And of course, you remember about Daniel, that Daniel again spoke about kingdoms to come. Daniel himself wrote about a final world nation or a group of kingdoms, a 10-nation confederacy that would rule the world. And I see this, once again, what I would call the spirit of Babylon at work. And so when you get to Revelation, I think this is what it's talking about. Babylon represents a false satanic system. In fact, all the false satanic systems of the world that have tried to lure people away in an adulterous way, away from the true and living God so that they would worship false gods or worship humanity and eventually to worship the devil. This is the, the spirit of Babylon. 
Now again, as we're reading about Babylon in chapter 17, it, it is a, a false religious system, but it's also an economic system. Dr. Wolverd writes about Babylon this way. He says, Babylon referred to about 300 times in the Bible is occasionally viewed as a satanic religious program opposing the true worship of God. And by the way, that's how it's used in Revelation. But primarily it is viewed as a political power with a great city bearing the name Babylon as its capital. And so again, we see that this is a, it's a real city. In fact, in the next chapter, we're gonna read about the destruction of this kingdom along with the trade and everything, the economic system, everything associated with the city part of it. But in this chapter, we're talking about dealing with the false religious system. Now, with all that in mind, let's read verses two through six again, and then we'll move to chapter, verse seven. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her. And again, the her there is Babylon, whose leader is the Antichrist. They abandoned the true God. They joined with the false God. And those who live on the earth became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. Everybody was swept up into this. They all believed the lie. They all turned away from the true God. Verse three, so he carried me away. It's the angel carried John away in the spirit to a desert. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls. She had a gold cup in her hand filled with everything vile and with the impurities of her prostitution. On her forehead, a cryptic name was written, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the vile things of the earth. Then I saw that the woman was drunk on the blood of the saints and on the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And so here's an entire system that turns people away from God. And Babylon, mystery Babylon, or the spiritual Babylon, is actually working through this 10-nation confederacy, which we're gonna read about in a minute, this final world kingdom. But I'm reminded of how the Apostle Paul said about the Antichrist in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's sanctuary publicizing that he himself is God. This is the ultimate representation of the spirit of Babylon. I am God. And it's turning people away from the true and living God. And the people of the world are readily going to go after this whole system. Now, you may remember that we talked earlier about seven heads and 10 horns. This is the same beast that was referred to in, in previous chapters. And I talked about the fact that this is a reference to the government that's going to give the Antichrist his platform in which to operate and Satan the platform to uh, delude and deceive all the people of the world. The explanation of this uh, nation or the beast with the seven heads and, and the ten horns is found in the very next verse, verse seven of Revelation 17. We read, then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will tell you the secret meaning of the woman and the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carried, carries her. The beast you saw was and is not 
and is about to come up from the abyss and go to destruction, those who live on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast that was and is not and will be present again. Now, I want to remind you of the image here. You've got an image of a prostitute who's dressed so nicely to entice other people. She is riding on this beast, and this beast has the 10 horns and seven heads, And John sees this and it says he's astonished by all of this. And then it says here in this, in verse eight, that the beast was and is not and is about to come up from the abyss. Now let me stop for a moment. And I mentioned that chapter 17 is a little confusing because some of the symbols are used more than, in more than one way. And in this case, the word beast sometimes in the Bible is a reference to the Antichrist. And sometimes beast in the Bible is a reference to the 10 nation confederacy through which the Antichrist will work. And so sometimes it's one and sometimes it's the other. And so when you read about the beast that this woman is riding on, of course, that's the 10 nation confederacy. But I wanna suggest that when you read about, in verse eight, a beast that was and is not, but is coming up from the abyss, In this case, the beast is the Antichrist himself. That's the reference to the Antichrist. This is one that was, is no more, but somehow will be coming back again. Now, this is kind of an odd thing, although there was a reference to it previously. I mentioned earlier in the book of Revelation that we believe the Antichrist is gonna be killed and then he's gonna be brought back to life. He's gonna suffer a fatal wound and then he's gonna be brought back to life and the whole world is gonna be amazed by this and therefore they're gonna worship the the Antichrist. And I think that's what's being described here. Whoever this Antichrist figure is, the head of this beast, this worldwide kingdom, he is going to be killed and brought back to life again and it's possible that it's someone who has died in the past. I'm not suggesting that this is what's gonna happen, but I read an interesting novel two or three years ago that was just kind of fascinating. And it was the first time that I kind of had an interest, a different perspective on, on who this person might be. But this novel suggested that the person who died and came up from the abyss was actually Hitler. It's somebody who died and was already buried, already sent down to the abyss, but they're gonna be coming back up again to reign. If you think about it for a moment, and I know it sounds like just a crazy thought, but if you think about it for a moment, if somebody like Hitler rose to power once again, if everybody saw him, they would all be able to identify that is indeed Hitler. And they'd know that he died and they'd see him again. And if he claimed to be God or Christ, because this is the antichrist, someone who's claiming to be Christ and pretending to be a, a, have a death and a resurrection like Jesus had, well, people would end up worshiping him. And I think that's what might be happening with this last kingdom, that this, this ruler is someone who died but came back again. Now, I think this confirms what we read earlier in Revelation chapter 13. Because in Revelation 13, we read again about this beast with the 10 horns and the seven heads. And let's read it again. And there's again a a reference to this Antichrist. Beginning in verse one of Revelation 13, I saw a beast coming out of the sea. The sea, of course, is the Gentile nations. He had 10 horns and seven heads. On his horns were 10 diadems or crowns. And on his heads were blasphemous names. 
The beast I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like a bear's and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. One of his heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but his fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. Now we know from the Old Testament symbolism in the book of Daniel that, this, that the leopard represents Greece, the bear represents the Medo-Persian Empire, and the lion represents Babylon. The final kingdom of the, the earth, this final beast kingdom is gonna be a combination of these, really of all the kingdoms of the world that have operated in opposition to Christ and have opposed God's people, especially the Jewish nation. Also, we know though, and as we're going to see in a minute, this final kingdom is a picture of a revived Roman Empire. And so you get all of these working together here in this, this final kingdom. And so the angel goes on to explain this to John in verse nine of chapter 17. Here's the mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. So this is the beginning of the explanation to John about what he's seeing through this vision. And he's being told the seven heads are seven mountains. Now I mentioned before that Rome is called the city of seven hills. And so this is likely a, a, revo, a revived Roman Empire that has the characteristics of these other kingdoms. But then verse 10 indicates a little bit more. It says they are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must remain for a little while. Now, the, the, we, we learn that these heads are, are seven hills, but we find out that there are also seven kings. I mentioned again that some of the terms in this chapter are used in multiple ways here. So it's a revived Roman Empire, but they represent rulers. Now, I would like to suggest, and I said this before, that I believe that the seven heads represent rulers of the past and not the present. In John's day, five of them had already come and gone. One was around in John's day and the, the next one was yet to come. And some think it was perhaps again a reference to Hitler's uh, kingdom and his effort to destroy the Jewish people. Might even be Hitler himself. In either case though, we have a situation where there are these kingdoms of the past that have tried to get rid of Israel and the God of Israel. Because in destroying Israel, they would think they would get rid of Satan would try to get rid of Israel itself. Verse 11, though, continues by saying the beast that was, and now we're talking about the person, the beast, the Antichrist, that was and is not, is himself an eighth king, yet he belongs to the seven and is going to destruction. And so you realize the seventh king that John is referring to, the seventh head has gone already, but he's gonna come back again. And so he's an eighth king, but he's also a seventh. And that's why I, I'm suspecting that this Antichrist is someone who's gonna die as one of the seven leaders of the past, but then he's gonna come back again as an eighth leader. So he's both the seventh and the eighth. Continuing in verse 12 though, we continue to read that the 10 horns you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he's the Lord of lords and king of kings. Those with him are called chosen and faithful. And again, I think we're the ones who are with Christ here. So let me clarify this or kind of bring it together somewhat. 
Both the heads and the horns of this particular beast that this woman is riding on represent leaders. The heads represent leaders of the past who have passed away. The 10 horns represent future leaders of this final world kingdom. And so once again, you see this spiritual prostitution that's going to work through the kingdoms of this earth to steer people away from the true and living God. I think this is what all of Revelation chapter 17 is all about. And so these 10 leaders of the last kingdom, they're called the 10 horns, they have one purpose and that is to give all their authority to the Antichrist so that he might rule supreme as God. And it's the ultimate idolatry. Now, continuing in verse 15, we come to an interesting development in the story, and it's a speck puzzling. We read in verse 15 of Revelation 17, he also said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute was seated are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The 10 horns you saw and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked, devour her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his plan by having one purpose and to give their kingdom to the beast until God's words are accomplished. And the woman you saw is the great city that has an empire over the kings of the earth. Now this is an odd development because it says the beast... And these 10 leaders around him are going to hate the prostitute. And they're going to treat this prostitute, prostitute the way the Old Testament law required that you treat people who are involved with gross immorality. In the Old Testament, if someone was involved with gross immorality, they were to be burned with fire. I know it's, it's, it's hard to even imagine that, but one example is Leviticus 20 and verse 14. Well, we read, if a man marries a woman and her mother, it's depraved. Both he and they must be burned with fire so that there will be no depravity among you. And in Leviticus 21.9, we read, if a priest's daughter defiles herself by promiscuity, in other words, prostitution, she defiles her father, she must be burned up. Now, why would the beast of the end times and the Ten Nation Confederacy attacked this, this prostitute, which represents the false religious systems and the false prophets, especially since the false prophet is the one that pointed everyone to the Antichrist and how the devil is working through all of it. Why would, he, why would they turn on this false system? Well, I think what's happening here is this. A good way to understand this is that sometimes governments... Uh, try to work through religious systems to accomplish their purposes. We kind of know that, that they fall, form alliances. Think for a moment again back in Germany with Hitler. What did Hitler try to do? He tried to, to rally around him the religious leaders because he knew that the religious leaders had influence. And he knew that he, if he could, in a sense, buy off the religious leaders and he'd have their support, that he could really, he could really take over all the people. And so that's what he tried to do. And history records that some of the religious leaders turned against Hitler, and I think some lost their lives in the process. Some were killed because of it. They were persecuted because of it. Some turned against Hitler. They sought for what it was, but there were other leaders that joined right in with he Hitler. And so you could see the leader and Hitler side by side. And in a sense, what's happening there, of course, is the religious leaders turning over 
the spiritual authority over to that, that leader. Now, what happens? What happens when that leader finally has control, though? And I'm talking about the, the governmental leader, like Hitler or something. What happens when he has control? Well, he no longer needs the religious leader. And I think this is what's going to be happening in the last days. There's going to be religious support for this Antichrist. Some world religious leader and a false prophet is going to give full support to the Antichrist. And the whole world's going to worship the Antichrist. But as soon as he is firmly in place, this Antichrist, and he's secured himself as God, he's going to say, basically, I don't need you anymore. And he's going to get rid of, I think, all religious systems. I think he's going to make it illegal to worship anything except him alone. And so he used this idolatrous and moral system to get what he wanted, but now he's done with them. And I think that's what's happening. Now, finally, chapter 17 ends with this verse, verse 18. And the woman you saw is the great city that has an empire over the kings of the earth. I want to talk about this a lot more next week. I, I mentioned how Babylon is a religious system, but it's also a real city. It, it represents the heart of where the Antichrist kingdom is going to be. It's an economic system. It's a governmental system. And so chapter 17 closes with judgment against the false religious system. And, and we read that God is the one that put it in the hearts of these people to do it. The, the, the leaders and the Antichrist to turn against the false religious system. God does that. And so there's going to be judgment against the false religious system. And then in chapter 18, we're going to learn about judgment against the governmental system associated with the Antichrist. Let's pray. Father, again, we recognize these are challenging things. Uh, they can be concerning things. We're reminded, O oh Lord, of the truth, though, that your son is coming back one day. We know that things will get tough. We want to be ones who live again in light of the, these truths, to recognize the importance of living in a way that is pleasing to you, but also in a way that reaches other people for Christ so that they're not swept up into this false system. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.